to be a farmer and make it, you gotta be innovative in order to survive in this industry. You're very dependent on the weather. You're very dependent on what Mother Nature wants to bring you. They kind of said, if you dream it, we can make it happen. So I'm like, well, I got all kinds of dreams, so let's, let's see what we can do. If we lose these farms, we lose our food security. Every time a piece of land goes out of production, it's heartbreaking, because we can never replace that land. That land becomes a subdivision. It becomes a strip mall. And to keep these farms here, they have to be economically viable. The commercial side of rural America doesn't have that access to the data and the applications and the infrastructure that can help them become a lot more efficient. The stuff we take for granted is not something that these farmers get to enjoy because in many cases, they're just precluded from access to the internet. In that opening clip, you heard from farmers in Snohomish County, Washington, talking about the challenges they face in their industry of agriculture. Issues such as population growth and climate change are seriously affecting their yields. Earlier this year, in conjunction with Snohomish County, the 5G Open Innovation Lab announced the Food Resiliency Program, which harnesses technologies such as 5G, drones, edge compute, to name a few, to make farming more efficient. In fact, the 5G Open Innovation Lab is creating some of the most fascinating and innovative solutions that will change the way we live our lives. Now, Amdocs is a founding partner of this initiative, and today's episode will be dedicated to the 5G Open Innovation Lab and some of the leaders of the organizations that are part of this incredible collaboration. Welcome to The Great Indoors, a podcast where we look at the lasting technological changes brought about by the pandemic and how technology can potentially help solve the other challenges facing humanity. I'm your host, Matt Roberts, and joining me is my co-pilot and producer, Larissa Yee. Um, And I can't believe it, today is the fifth in our special MWC-LA bonus episodes. We are coming to you from Mobile World Congress, Los Angeles. And over the last week, we have had a recording studio on prominent display at the event, and we've had amazing conversations already with some of the industry's leading figures. So today's common red thread with all our guests is the 5G Open Innovation Lab, and I'm joined by Jim Bramitsis, the CEO and founder of the 5G Open Innovation Lab, Michael Anderson, the CEO of Expeto Wireless, Ben Postumo, the head of product at GenXCom, and James Kimmery, the vice president of product management at Spirant. So I'd like to welcome you to the Great Indoors today. So our next guest on the Great Indoors today is actually uh, the first guest who's come back and, and done a second episode, because the first episode was an absolute sizzler, I think February. that's fair to say. And actually, it's the first time I've actually met Jim in person. The last podcast was done uh, uh, over the, uh, the old video conferencing software. So I'd like to welcome to the Great Indoors today, the founder and the head, the CEO of the 5G Open Innovation Lab out of Seattle, Jim Bramitsis. How are you doing, Jim? I'm doing great, Matt. And it's a pleasure to actually get to meet you in person for the first time. Yeah, no, yeah. likewise. Now, when we spoke last back in, I think it was February, wasn't it? Because it was cold. It was. Um, there were some really interesting things happening out of the 5G Open Innovation Lab. In fact, when we did that podcast, we just did the press release with the Food Resiliency Program right. in, in Snohomish County. And right. Amdocs is a, a partner with you guys yep, up there in the lab. Partners. And it's amazing 
what you're doing there um, uh, in the lab, Jim. So what's happened between February and now? Because there's been lots of news, there's been lots of new partners, there's been lots of startups. Give us a quick rundown of everything that's happened since we last spoke. Well, we, we moved forward with, at the time it was batch three, just after we had our first podcast. And now we're in the middle of, literally in the middle of batch four. So we've had 59 teams now come through the program since we launched in 2020. Uh, we've had three of those teams actually be acquired, the latest being Mixcom that oh. uh, announced their acquisition from Seaver Semiconductor about two weeks ago uh, and two others before that. And a bunch of fundraising as well. So on the startup front, uh, the teams that we've had a chance and privilege to work for, uh, work with rather, have been really, really fantastic. Uh, we've added some new partners as well. Spirant, Ericsson, um, we're announcing a couple of new partners, which I can't say just yet, but sure. uh, we'll be announcing them later on today. And then, of course, you, you know about the Food Resiliency Project, which, yes. which was really a, an opportunity for us to create our own private 5G network and really do what we think is amazing, actually, to use some of Amdocs' latest, <laughs> uh, latest strap plan. Yeah, and, and we always felt at the lab that the, that the opportunity for 5G was, was bigger than connectivity. Uh, connectivity is sort of a, a given in, in many respects, and we really wanted to explore what happens when you fuse connectivity with computing on the edge, and that's what the Food Resiliency Project has been for us. In fact, about a month ago, and Amdocs actually wrote about this um, in a joint blog with, with ourselves and Microsoft and other partners, that um, you know, we, we actually ran a drone test mm -hmm. where we were collecting live video data and photo data and actually yeah. processing that data on our on-site um, edge before moving it to an Azure application. And so that's pretty fantastic. In the grand scheme of things, when you think about this opportunity ahead for carriers and for enterprises, the, the closer you get to the software ecosystem, the, the bigger the value opportunity is long-term. And that, that, that's exciting for us. Uh, on the farm itself, in, in both of them, we've deployed some um, specialized irrigation equipment and some other capabilities there where one of our farms, Swan Trails, um, they've already reduced their water footprint by up to 75% just because they're accessing real-time IoT data, they're collecting LIDAR data and, and amassing all that to have a better perspective on the health of their crops and what we help them determine that they are actually over-irrigating and over-chemical, putting more chemicals than necessarily. And, mm -hmm. and as a result, this year, their, their crop value is much higher than years past. All right. So it's really, I think it's, it's fascinating um, what the lab is, is producing, Jim, because we were in Denver uh, several weeks ago and we heard Neville Ray from T-Mobile and he said the, the three things about 5G, he said for T-Mobile, is fixed wireless access, yep. rural coverage, and enterprise, right? But didn't really allude into some of those enterprise use cases. And we had Sam Path, the CRO of Verizon earlier. He talked big, you know, big about fixed wireless is their first real use case that they're pushing on 5G. What is it that you, and we, I remember asking you this question back in February, but I want to see what's changed. What to you now is the big driver from what you're seeing for 5G use cases in, in which verticals? Um, so, so first, from a segmentation perspective, the, the biggest opportunity, in my humble opinion, is the enterprise. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at the total revenue across all carriers globally, as of the latest numbers that I've seen from 2020, uh, on average, global carriers uh, at mass are, are bringing in about $1.2 trillion a year in revenue. Mm -hmm. uh, there are six vendors on the planet today that generate more than that. Facebook, Microsoft, Amazon, Netflix, Google, and mm -hmm. Apple. Mm -hmm. So there's this, there's this big separation between where value is created and where's, where value is realized. And I'm not suggesting that connectivity has no value. Obviously, it has a very big, valuable part. But ultimately, it's, 
It's a, a means to connect to applications, a means to harvest data, and so on and so forth. And so when we looked at the opportunity in the enterprise space, according to several analysts, the, the opportunity is quite large. It's about $6.8 trillion will be spent by enterprises who are moving digital. Right. Meaning that they're going to increase their uh, dependency on IoT, increase their dependency on big data, AI, augmented reality, all of the things we hear about at shows like this. Um, and really what's driving that are applications and software. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to go and explore that opportunity as a sort of a big, big opportunity. So do I, you know, do I think that fixed wireless and, and, and those opportunities are, are real? Yes, obviously. Um, but when you look at where a lion's share of the wallet revenue is going to go, um, there's a portion that goes to connectivity. And then there's a fairly big portion that goes to the software world. Mm-hmm. And that's that divide that we're, you know, we're very much um, focused on really exploring and exploiting longer term. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, that's where we have had a lot of fun working alongside our founding partners like Amdocs, but also working hand in hand with enterprise startups, right? Yes. Teams that have yeah. raised collectively of the 59 teams that we've worked with, they've, they've all raised over $524 billion, million, which is fantastic. If you think about mm-hmm. only running this program for about two years. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So that, that's really that cross section of opportunity. And in my humble opinion, it's also a, a place where the carriers uh, in this 5g realm have a place to reimagine their value in their position in the broader ecosystem. And, and Sampath echoed that this morning when we spoke to him, but he also said the magic is going to happen at the edge. Right, we hear, absolutely correct. We have we hear this over and over again. That's the thing at the moment. If we looked at the at the old Gartner hype cycle, edge would be edge compute would be right up there. I think everybody's talking about it. What's your opinion? What's your position on on edge compute now, and and what it can deliver, and how you're harnessing that in in your lab environment? Um, edge compute is going to be the the differentiation in in the cloud. You're seeing all the hyperscalers make phenomenal progress in, in, in those regards. In fact, I think it was about two weeks ago as well that um, AWS announced that they were actually setting up a dedicated edge uh, product mm-hmm. team, uh, yeah. which you know I think brings together Outpost and Wavelength and some other properties. And of course, Microsoft's done extremely well in this space as well. So on the, on the hyperscaler front, it, it's a foregone conclusion. The edge is significant. On the startup front that we've had a chance to work with, there's both startups who are building edge capabilities and there's startups that are building applications that are going to rely on the edge quite heavily. That's where the spending power is. And they're solving problems for large enterprises. That's where the spending power is. Mm-hmm. So Sam was absolutely correct. Um, my question to Sam and, and the rest in, in the telco industry is, is what role do you want to play in that? Yeah. And how involved do you want to allow your networks to play in that? And, and it goes beyond just throwing SIM cards into devices, IoT sensors, yeah. drones, autonomous vehicles, and really, really speaks to this opportunity about potentially exposing network services as edge computing services where your value um, you know, increases. Uh, that, that said, that's in the macro network. Mm-hmm. We, we've talked in our February podcast around the emerging opportunity in private cellular networking. Yeah. And back then I was saying, I, I, feel like, I feel like this is a real market, but time will tell. And now it's been several months later, I, I'm more assured now that this is a real market opportunity where enterprises are fundamentally looking at private cellular networks, in some cases collaborating with, with traditional telcos, in other cases not, Yeah, uh, going straight forward. Now, now you said the, the, the service providers have to decide what role they want to play in this. What role do you think they should play? I think they need to get into the software game. Yeah. And I, and I think that there is uh, an emerging opportunity for them to collaborate but closely with the hyperscalers who ulti- ultimately see this opportunity edge as well to share resources and access where 
the you know the the applications that start running on the edge could be accelerated and run on a carrier's edge, and then eventually accelerated into a telco or sorry a, a cloud edge as well, or, or a cloud public cloud instance. That that's the world that I think um, mm-hmm. is really where the value is going to be created. Now, one of the other things that we talked, obviously we talked about the food resiliency program. We talked about the the, the recent use case with the drone, trans- taking the images, transmitting them in real time. We talked about uh, fixed wireless. The other area that the service providers talk about, and, and rightly so, is their responsibility to society. So fixed wireless and, and um, you know, can help bridge the digital divide. Yep. We've seen a reliance in society on technology through remote education, through telemedicine. Um, from your perspective, what is the biggest societal issue that 5G, Edge, everything that you're doing in the lab could potentially address? That's a fantastic question. I think, <clears throat> and it's not necessarily rooted in 5G, it's just, it's just connectivity, I think rural connectivity in any country around the world today suffers quite a bit. Um, and not just the, you know, the citizens who are out in, in rural areas not having the connectivity, but even industry. And in fact, here in the United States, in, the, in last year's CBRS auction, if you followed that, it was $4.2 yeah. billion sold of CBRS Spectrum. Mm-hmm. And some of that went to big industries like um, utilities, yeah. uh, oil and gas in, in, the, in the case of Chevron, to essentially provide coverage for remote areas where they're operating. So I think the societal benefit of that is, is actually quite high. In some cases, though, and, and I'm actually mm-hmm. impacted by this, we, my, my family and I are fortunate enough to have a, a cabin that's about 85 miles southeast of Seattle in the mountains. Uh, we have a, a, a fiber connection to the home, ironically enough, with 100 megs down, and that plan cost me $110 a month. I have a gig circuit to my home in Kirkland, Washington, and that plan costs us $60 a month. So there's an economic disadvantage uh, for just being 85 miles outside of a city core. Yeah. And so while it's, it's good to say, hey, we'd like to enable connectivity to rural America or rural anywhere in the world, the economics actually don't play in those favors as well. And so what I, I'd hope to see is over time that connectivity's price to value becomes such that really, truly, not only can you provide connectivity, but yeah. those who are now able to connect um, can, can, can connect in an affordable way. And do you think there's a responsibility on government to step in and assist or help or subsidize the service providers in bridging that economic gap? You know, in some cases they have. Like if you look at, um, is it, oh, I forget the town. I think it's Chattanooga, but it's one of the towns um, that's, the, it's called Gig City because every home has a, has a gig connection. And that's because, the city and the utilities actually took advantage of many government grant programs and mm-hmm. uh, used those to, to their favor. And from that standpoint, I would say absolutely they're subsidized. In fact, the ISP that I uh, use at my, my cabin also built their fiber network off the back of grants and such that are provided through the FCC and other programs. Mm-hmm. That doesn't negate the fact, though, that I'm still paying $40 a month for one-tenth the service of what I'm getting at my home in Kirkland. Yeah. Um, yeah. So... I, Perhaps there's some regulation that has to happen at the federal level or the state level that could price cap some of this so mm-hmm. that folks who are in rural areas can affordably access the internet. Yeah. Um, today, if, if, a, if a family can only afford, let's say, 40 to $50 a month um, for the connectivity around my cabin, that's DSL at best, and that's six megs down. 
yeah, at best. Yeah, yeah. So that, that, I think you're right. And I do think that government has a role to, to play in that. I'm from also from Canada, as you know, so <laughs> maybe that's my social tendencies pulling there, you uh, go. there a little bit. There you go. Well, here's a controversial question. Go for it. Okay, so we talked about it this morning. The, the events that have come back, when the service providers have got on stage, there's this race to 5G. This is one of the biggest, as far as I'm concerned, business stories of modern times, this race to roll out these 5G networks. We saw the C-band auction where Verizon finally went in and, and managed to get enough right. mid-band spectrum to start competing with T-Mobile, who had who'd taken it all through Sprint. We see them having pops at each other in the press, some of it fun. And who do you think, out of the service providers, service providers in the United States, is best equipped to succeed in this race. And let's not forget the cable MVNOs that are in the mix as well. Who right now, if you were a betting man and they were horses, where would your money go? Controversial one. And I'm having a look to see if there's anybody <laughs> batting an eyelid at that one. Yeah, no. Um, where I would place my money is where a service provider is, is absolutely making big bets on the enterprise. Um, as a consumer of 5G services, obviously I'd like my service, but honestly, in my humble opinion, the, the revenue opportunity long-term is not going to be on the consumer side. It's all going to be in the enterprise. Mm -hmm. So any service provider that's really doubling down on enterprise, whether it's in private future 5G networks, whether it's in edge capabilities, whether it's in transforming their services and their value to enterprise and to the software ecosystem is where I put my bets. And I've seen a number of different players from a Rakuten to Reliance Geo to even a dish here in the United States. Mm -hmm. We're not only going cloud native with their network architectures from day one, but in the case of dish, and I don't want to quote them entirely, but I believe that they're looking at the enterprise context is, is you know, just as interesting and important to them as their consumer play no, as absolutely, well. Yeah. So yeah. that's where I would make the bet generally. Cause I think okay. that honestly is where the, the big dollars are going to be longer term. It's great that we all have fast. In fact, I'm patiently waiting for this Friday to get my hands on a Google Pixel 6 Pro. Nice. Which will be my first 5G uh, phone. But I, 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 I struggle to see the long-term potential in terms of wowing me as a consumer relative to the commodity pricing today of services yeah, yeah. Uh, to where the enterprise is going. Because the spending power, according to Gartner, every year, including last year, enterprises at Mask uh, spent about 34 trillion dollars in it that's three times more than what all the global carriers make in a year yeah you can't ignore those numbers yeah well something that i thought was maybe superfluous and i've seen it i saw it in the big 5g in denver and it's it's on the agenda here is people already talking about 6g is that too early yeah i mean we're not even close to 5g guys I know. We're, not, we're, we're not um I don't, and I, I could be very wrong. I don't know if we've actually moved to standalone 5G with any of the carriers at, at scale, like at, yeah. at, at the country level. I know there's yeah. instances of standalone 5G in the networks, but I haven't seen it. And we certainly have not seen at scale millimeter wave, which is truly what differentiates 5G from 4G yeah. in terms of speeds, performance, and latency and all that fun stuff. So mm -hmm. we're not there yet. No. My, I'm not a standards individual, but my sense is that 6G will, will likely be... Um, uh, an evolution of 5G and what we've learned in 5G implemented in 6G. Yeah. I'm curious to see where the standards go relative to offloading data pipes into edge computing and all that other yeah. fun yeah. stuff. But yeah, it, we, we have looked at 5G as a thesis because of the software opportunity. We're also looking at 
decoupling the 5G from the Open Innovation Lab, not because it's not interesting or important, but it, it sort of ties you to one wave of, of mm-hmm. connectivity in 5G. And yeah. it doesn't, doesn't really appreciate kind of where the future of enterprise technology is going. It's certainly on the edge. No, excellent. So I'm going to give you a little challenge here, Jim, because this is the second time challenges. this is the second time we've spoken, and I'm going to invite you back for a third episode. So am I the first? To, am I the first to have two episodes? You're the first. You're the first one. And then you're not doing that just because I'm from Toronto, like you are. Uh, that's why I initially Thank thought you. about it. You know, just giving you a bit of Canadian brotherly love. Thank you. So if and we have it, <laughs> if we have you back in six months, yeah. make a prediction now. And we're going to test that prediction when we bring you back. Six months. Yeah. Six months, we are going to show in the lab a mock telco yeah. actually generating revenue on the edge with a whole host of use cases running with our startups, delighting enterprise customers, and showing that pathway. And that's more than a prediction. That's, that's a goal that we have set up. Yeah. And too early to say anything now, but we are very, very close to actually enabling that as something. And that, I think, will be a turning point for the industry, where they can start to really realize the assets and the networks that they built are actually fundamentally valuable. It's just how you look at the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, you heard it here first. We're going to test that out in season Six four. Months. Six months. I'll Six buy months. you some Timmies if I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but in, in all seriousness, we've, we've done a lot and with our friends at Amdocs, and I'm not just saying that because I'm in a booth with you recording a yeah. podcast, yeah. Um, but Amdocs has really, really leaned in uh, in a big way in this opportunity. And so there's likely to be lots more collaborations for us to talk about. No, it's great. And it's one of the most innovative and exciting things I think we're a part of right now. Thank so, you. So uh, it's really great. And great to have you here. And um, I look forward to speaking Finally, to you again to soon, you in person. Yes, thank you for having me again. I appreciate it. Take it easy. Of course. Okay, so my next guest today on The Great Indoors, joining us is Michael Anderson, the CEO of Expato. Welcome to The Great Indoors, Michael. Thanks, Matt. It's, it's great to be here. Absolutely. And tell us a little bit about Expato. Yeah, so Expato is really a company where our core purpose is to enable enterprise customers to consume 5G according to their mission-critical business needs. Mm-hmm. And, and I say that, um, and, and I'll emphasize the enterprise and what we say quite often is enterprise first. And by no means do I mean to be critical of what we would call kind of telco-first solutions, but we were really inspired by the enterprise as we looked at 5G and really the, the reach the speed and the scale and really applying that in the enterprise context. If it's in, you know, the factory driving manufacturing and supply chains or robotics or in the hospitals. And so we built um, a software based application, really a platform as a service where we're enabling the enterprise for the first time. And when I say enterprise, I mean kind of medium to large size Mm -hmm. that typically have, multiple locations, transnational, multinational. And first and foremost, we allow them to use kind of any combination of 5G public connectivity or deploying private, but taking those multiple networks and really creating a single WAN. That's number one. Yeah. The number two thing is we allow them to seamlessly integrate that into their IT systems. So now from a CIO's perspective, it's their topology, their security, their IP addresses. 
And that's kind of an industry first, right? That they're allowed mm-hmm. to, to really extend their existing networks with 5G or really any 3G PP network, you know, 4G, mm-hmm. LTE, you know, et cetera. Yeah. And, and then the final thing, which if we think about why are we doing this? Why are we establishing this networks? Why are we censoring everything? It really is that data, right? It's the data that allows us to take timely and valuable action. And so the, the third and final thing is we allow them to control the end-to-end data path, really that data routing. And a lot of times, especially with public networks, uh, that data will kind of trombone around according to, to really the way the network is set up. And yeah. what we do is we allow them to egress it right out of the network into their, into their environment, which is really valuable. So basically what you're doing is you're giving the control back to the enterprise. A- absolutely. It's a, that couldn't set it better myself. It's yeah. the control is in their hands, right? Yeah. Which is if you're an enterprise and you, and you know, we're asking these guys, Hey, listen, put your mission critical processes on these networks. And we can't ask them to do that without putting the control in their hands. Yeah. And that's fundamentally what we're doing. So you're giving them control of their security. You're giving them control of the routing, but more importantly, you're giving them the control of that data. Right? Exactly. Control their network in their domain their systems, which is very empowering and exciting. And as you know, I, I think that, you know, some people might get grumpy with me if I say, you know, the network is really meaningless. It's about the work the network is enabling you to do. And we're all about the outcomes and the applications. And those are only possible if the enterprise is able to kind of have that, that control and kind of the integrated uh, network compute and application working together, you yeah. know, within their mission critical processes where we, we say minutes mean millions, right? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. And, and we're obviously partners in the, the 5G Open Innovation Lab. Um, tell us a little bit about the work that, that we've done together. And, and, and there was some really interesting stuff with, with the drones that um, we were all a part of recently. Give us a, a, an insight into that, Michael, if you could. Yeah, well, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. There's uh, the, the wonderful thing I I feel very fortunate to work with so many overachievers, right? Um, and as you put us all indoors, so to speak, um, you know, there was a lot of extra time to think about, you know, what can we, what can we do together? So the 5G Open Innovation Lab, uh, you know, with, with, with Amdocs, you know, Expedo, T-Mobile, Microsoft, you know, et cetera, as partners, uh, we were able to think about, you know, what are some application areas we can really focus on and especially in the pandemic, you know, those problems kind of became front and center for us, right? And it was like, okay, guys, uh, you know, let's, let's put ourselves to work here. So we've done some things, uh, which is a, we've done a food resiliency lab yep. north of Seattle, which is just, I, I think, um, an extraordinary project. And before I even get into, you know, the flying drones and the soil sensors and mm-hmm. all these things that are really meaningful – the thing that really um, stood out to me as we got involved in the project together is the uh, director at Snohomish uh, County, uh, 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 Linda Nunsig, was, you know, she brought up a statistic to me that was just kind of blew my mind about basically the population growth, right? And fundamentally how many people we were going to have to feed. And if you take that with really the inevitability of climate disasters and pandemics and things we needed to truly create resiliency of our food supply, which 
was not only large farms, but small farms and, and geographic, yeah. you know, type of, uh, uh, you, you know, backups for um, these things. So as we worked in with one project with the 5G lab was really taking, you know, a small farm and enabling them to, um, again, putting, you know, the, the control in their hands with technology was to uh, get their yields up, to get their farm more efficient, to use fertilizer more efficiently, water more efficiently, all with, you know, that 5G foundational network together with the compute and application resources from, from members of the lab, um, you know, Innovate Ag, you know, Amdocs, uh, us, et cetera. And it was really wonderful. And that was just mm-hmm. one. And, and we're looking at, um, you know, we've, we've done some projects also uh, with a large uh, energy company as we're looking at um, what I would say grid resiliency, right? Much like food resiliency, but the electrical grid with, with, with climate and, and, and other wildfire type disasters, how do we enable that grid to be resilient so that, you know, society that's, you know, literally powered by these guys can continue on. Uh, but then also some great applications in terms of that we've worked on again with uh, lab members, uh, us, you know, companies like uh, Pano, uh, AI, you know, doing wildfire detection applications, uh, enabling transportation electrification, you know, by, you know, connecting up uh, the charging infrastructure and making yeah. sure that it's ready. So, I mean, I could go on and on. It's been a couple of years. We've been busy, Matt. Well, <laughs> yes, that's <laughs> like it. But, you know, this is something that I've picked up this week, and this is a definite theme, is these things, and, and you've just cited some amazing examples there, Michael, but these use cases, these issues that this technology are addressing are not for pure commercial reasons. They're fixing issues in the world, in society. It, it's not pure capitalism, right? And, and, you know, when you look at the food resiliency program, something that, that Don, the CMO of, of Qualcomm, said to us this week, and he was talking about um, industrial automation. He said there's, there's hundreds of tankers off the coast of L.A. right now. They can't get into the port. There's no staff. There's, there's a shortage, a supply chain issue in workers to get those goods off the boats. If, if we'd already had that automated, which is one of the sort of prophesized use cases of, of 5G, we wouldn't be having these supply chain shortages in, in, in the world we live in, right? So I think what's really interesting about some of the demonstrable examples, the, the food resiliency program in, in Snohomish County, it, it, these are things that technology is, is addressing that affects humanity, right? In, in, in a rather, you know, it's not something that just makes our lives easier. It's something that's fixing some very fundamental problems uh, that, that the world is facing right now, which I think is, is really interesting. No, I, I think it's really interesting as well. And, you know, one of the things that, that I would say, I mean, there's, in, and I mean this in, in a very constructive way, but sometimes uh, a crisis is a bit of a wake-up call to remind us that, you know, we're not here, you know, for just yeah. pure capitalism, right? It's, it's what can we do to really bring about meaningful change, right? Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, pandemics, um, you know, climate-induced, you know, uh, disasters and challenges, 
that word resiliency really rings true. Mm-hmm. And it's a call to action for all of us uh, to really think about how we can truly take these things and bring them together to drive meaningful outcomes, right, for good. And good doesn't mean that we don't, you know, have to, uh, you know, grow and, and profit from these things. But I think it gives us a North Star. Yeah. And that North Star, I think, is has been inspiring. And I, and I might just add one more thing. I was in Washington, D.C., a few weeks ago, um, and again, one of these things where, you know, we, we were let out to see each other again and just yeah. having coffee. And he made the remark that really stuck with me. And he said, you know, I believe that this pandemic has actually pushed technology five years further ahead 100%. than it would be because yeah. we were just, we were literally kind of backed in a corner. And um, the great thing for me and, and why I'm, you know, kind of wake up every day to, you know, be a part of this industry is we did not cower away. You know, we stood up and the past couple of years, you know, again, on Zoom, on Teams, you know, we've we've come together and really done some amazing things. And to your point about the ports, I think now we want to go further faster to kind of put in those safeguards to ensure that, you know, the, the next time this happens, there's not 40, 50, 100 ships waiting to come into the port. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it, you know, it's crisis in these times of crisis is when the, the greatest innovation happens right and and i think um the the analyst chet and sharma who's, who's from seattle uh, and he did his event recently called quantum leaps where he said never in in the history of technology have we had such a, a deep crisis like covid which has forced that digital propulsion and adoption and advancement that we've never seen before but at the same time it, it coincides completely coincidentally with the advent of 5g edge compute um, and all these other technologies coalescing to create this he calls it a quantum leap we're in this moment in time and i'm i'm sure you've been in technology for many years uh, michael but this is an exciting time all those things coming together to create this huge advance that that we're at the vanguard of it's pretty exciting it is you know it's it's funny i was uh few weeks ago, um, was listening to an REM song. You probably have heard it called It's the End of the World yeah. as We Know It, right? <laughs> um, but, you know, this could have gone a couple of different ways, right? To your point about community and, and, uh, and really, you know, looking at this thing in the eyes and, and to really use innovation as a tool. And that's what we did, right? So I think it has been a fun time. And, you know, to your first question, about being back here and being with folks, there's kind of a, a way we're looking at each other saying, you know, we, we've done some good things here, right? Precisely. No, precisely. I think there's, I don't know what the word is. The industry feels kinder than it did two years ago. There's an, an altruism, a, 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 a feeling of humanity that I don't think we had two years ago. No, I, I agree. It's, it's uh, you know, sometimes you... You look at everybody almost as a competitor, right? And, you know, if they're doing something, we don't look at the good it's doing. We look at the fact that, you know, why didn't I do that, yeah, right? Yeah. Or what's wrong with that? How can I, put, you know, find something at fault with what they've come up with there? Right. I was, you know, I was asked as a, as a, as a younger company, you know, one of the things that we're doing, you know, to expand is raising money, right? And mm-hmm. I'm often peppered with questions, you know, from potential investors. They're like, well, what do you think of, you know, this company? And, well, you know, what's wrong with them? And I'm like, you know, 
nothing's wrong with them. They're actually doing some really good things and driving outcomes in this niche that are really wonderful and pushing the industry ahead, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and to your point about a community and, and this altruism, you know, but, you know, we're over here and we're doing good in this area, right? And it's okay for multiple folks to be doing some good and to root for each other. Yeah, And yeah. that's, uh, you know, if I look back to, you know, some of the first Mobile World Congresses way back, I'm showing my age in, in con. Yeah, yeah, I used, to, I used to go there. <laughs> yeah, <Okay>. right. <laughs> and there was this... Uh, there was a little bit of kick in our step back then, you know, bouncing around and, mm-hmm. you know, there was this thing called 3G. Wow, it's going to be big, right? Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I kind of feel like, I mean, I appreciate you saying that. It's, we've, we've all got a bit of a kick in our step, right? And that's good. Yeah. And I think, look, the, the biggest advancements will come is through um, that cooperation and through partnerships. You know, initiatives like the 5G Open Innovation, uh, Innovation Lab uh, that brings us all together to solve these real world issues. I think the biggest advancements also come in that collaboration, right? And that cooperation, which, as we said just before, may not have been as easier to do a couple of years ago for all the reasons we discussed. No, I, I agree. And, and, you know, hats off to Jim and Kurt and, you know, and really the the, the founders of the lab because, they have not let this lab, you know, become um, a, uh, you know, a battlefield. It's really been, you know, again, a community and how can we do good together? You know, and, and, and frankly, what I would call is, is, is a very practical approach to things, right? Um, it's, uh, you know, I, I make the joke a lot, like uh, you, you remember the uh, New York City corners, you know, the guys with the, the trench coats that were selling watches and things. And mm-hmm. I was joking, hey, you want to buy some 5G, right? And, <laughs> and we thought that that was, you know, that, that was success. Hey, someone put up a network, you know, somebody put in an edge node. And to a great extent, it doesn't matter. It's about how we come together with the community of users and what are the outcomes that yeah. they're going to drive? What are the, what's the practical value? You know, how did we how did we make people safer today with this technology? How yeah. did we improve yields? How did we, you know, get 40 more tankers in and unloaded right to get needed supplies to the industry? And, you know, gosh, I sure hope that that's mm-hmm. the new measuring stick for us because it's going to continue to be a lot of fun, right? No, exactly. Exactly. To make that real impact, um, I don't think there's anything bigger. So what's next for Expedo now then? Um, Michael, we talked about some of the great things that you've done with the lab and up in Snohomish County and the food resiliency program. What's, what's right ahead of you over the next six months? Well, I'll tell you, you know, in the past couple of years, it's been, um, we, we've really um, been fortunate to be part of the 5G Open Innovation Lab. We've actually kicked off uh, a wonderful project uh, with Rogers uh, mm-hmm. up in Canada. Um, and we've spent... Uh, uh, a good amount of time readying Rogers, what they call their wireless private network offer. Mm-hmm. Um, and Rogers is really leaning in and they're offering not just network, but they're leaning into the compute and the applications layer and going to the mining and the energy industry. So, you know, kind of what's next for us is we've been busy with that one. Yeah. So we're looking forward with Rogers of, you know, making some announcements of some projects we're working on again, really um, uh, promoting the outcomes, you know, safety, you know, asset use, efficiency, all the things that really make a difference. Um, and we also are moving into uh, some, some new verticals, uh, uh, some connected car uh, applications 
And again, looking more in the safety and service dispatch and, and, and these sorts of things. And then also to, again, some industrial applications, again, safety, you know, being first and, and resiliency. So those are some things ahead, and I wish I could tell you more because they're, they're at the tip of my well, tongue. Well, we'll, but we'll look forward to maybe meeting again. I was going to say, we'll invite you back for a full episode of, of The Great Indoors because it's fascinating, uh, Michael, you know, the, some of the things you're working on and some of the things um, you're discussing. It's, it's, it's super interesting. And I think this event and uh, is, is a milestone, I think. And I think we, there's so much that I'm going to take away you know, from this event, but I think this, and, and, and speaking to, to you reinforces it more, this inherent uh, almost obligation and responsibility to a greater good now, I think this industry is serving. And I think that's what's really, really exciting. No, I, I agree. And, you know, to, you know, we've, we've brought up some authors and it's always fun to get a little bit philosophical, right? But, yeah. you know, if we think about Sun Tzu, right, the, the best way to avoid a bad situation, right, is not to put ourselves in one, right? <laughs> and I think that, as we anticipate more and more challenges coming to us, I think that there's this notion of being very proactive and not waiting to react because mm -hmm. it's that proactiveness that really preserves, you know, the safety and to a great extent, kind of this, this engine that we all rely on to kind of move through each day. Yeah. And um, to your point, having that as a North star, having that is a call to action and altruistically working together uh, to put this technology for practical good, mm -hmm. um, man, that's, that's, that's a good way to get up in the morning. Definitely. Definitely. Listen, it's been a pleasure having you on the great indoors today, Michael. I, I wish you a safe trip back to your, uh, back to your home. And, uh, I look forward to, to having a, another discussion with you in the future where we can talk about some of those things. Yeah, absolutely. It's been wonderful. Thank you. And, and, uh, maybe hopefully soon we'll be rebranding to the great outdoors. I, I think so. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you. So our next guest on The Great Indoors on day two of MWC LA today is the head of product from Gen XCOM, Ben Postumo. Ben, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about Gen XCOM, because we're, we're, we're part of the 5G Open Innovation Lab together, Amdocs and, and Gen XCOM, and we, we, we talked about um, our, our common, uh, common friend Jim Bromiscus uh, earlier. But tell us a little bit about Gen XCOM and, and what you guys do and uh, what you also bring to the, the partnership we have in the, in the lab. Absolutely. So Gen XCOM was founded about five years ago. Um, and it was, it was based out of some research work being done at the University of Texas. And that research work was done in photonics compute-based interference cancellation. Mm -hmm. And what that basically means is the research was looking at ways to take transmitting signals, reduce the interference um, those transmitting signals are emitting, and then be able to still listen on that same channel. So effectively, you can transmit and receive on the exact same frequencies with the exact same uh, radio set. Right. Um, that went along for several years doing um, some various uh, DOD-funded work. Um, some more R&D went into it. A lot of R&D went into photonics-based processing and some other you know, offshoot programs. But about 8 to 12 months ago, um, the company really started looking at how do we start productizing this now? And, and the whole space they wanted to get into was this idea of private networks. Mm -hmm. um, so we right now, our main product is a private 4G or 5G network um, with a mesh capability. What I mean by that is typically 
when you build a private LTE or 5G network, um, what you're doing is you have a core and you have your small cells or your remote radios somewhere else. And those are generally connected back into the core. Mm-hmm. It's sort of a hub and spoke te- um, topology. Yeah. What we're doing is we're taking the concept of mesh networks and we're able to, rather than connecting those small cells with wired interfaces, we now connect them wirelessly over the air using the same spectrum that we're using for the private network. Right. In our case, it's CBRS. And so we are offering the user side of the network in CBRS, but we're also offering the backhaul in that same frequency set. But because of our interference cancellation technology, we're not losing any of the bandwidth available. And we're not losing any of the efficiencies. Right. So now what you can create is you can create this very, very dense private network that's very, very flexible and very modifiable. You can add nodes, you can remove nodes, and you can effectively very simply cover a large space with ultra-reliable, ultra-dense coverage without the need to run a lot of infrastructure. Right. So it, it allows a more efficient, faster rollout, if you will, of those private enterprise networks. Precisely. And we're taking that whole network and we're bundling that up and we're offering it as a service. So our main play is a, is a network as a service. We offer the ability to subscribe to this network and we do the management with our platform or as an MSP or other external group can come in, tie into our platform, and then they can host and run all the management on their own. But the idea is it's, it's all service-based. And so who is your customer? Is your customer service providers of the world like Verizon. So you would offer them this capability when they deploy a private enterprise network for their enterprise customer base, or do you go directly to the enterprise and say, Hey, you know what? We'll take care of this whole thing for you. It is more of the former um, in that we're doing more of a a B2B type. So we'll work with a um, installer. We'll work with a managed service provider. We will give them the technology. We will license our platform off to them they will bring in their knock and their customer support element and their BSS. Mm-hmm. They'll do all that side of it. We license off the platform for the management of the network, and then they manage the network. Right. And it's fair to say that I think one of the biggest buzzwords, I wouldn't say buzzwords, just one of the biggest words in, in the industry we work in right now, and it's three words, is private enterprise network. Yes, right? Everybody's absolutely. talking about this now, uh, talking about it in relation to 5G, talking about it in relation to all those 5G B2B use cases that we've speculated about, prophesized about, dreamt about for years. Are you seeing it now really become a reality? Are you seeing it accelerate? Are you seeing the demand from a a dynamics perspective, industry-wise, what are you seeing pre-pandemic and also has anything happened because of the pandemic? Yeah, I think that that's a really interesting question because as you identified, you know, pre-pandemic and only you know, three or four years ago, I remember being in Barcelona for MWC probably three or four years ago. And even then we were still talking about, you know, is this 5G really a thing? Is it really just marketing? And everybody's talking about, you know, the three tenets of 5G, the, you know, ultra low latency and you know, reliability and massive machine type, and then the enhanceable broadband. Those were mm-hmm. kind of the gospel of 5G. Yeah. And, and that's all we talked about. And we had some use cases around that, but, but nobody was really taking that the step further. And then left a lot of industries to kind of wonder, well, maybe this is something, but it's down the road, so let's not invest in it. Now that we're post-pandemic and several years later, now you really start to see people picking up on that. We haven't, the ecosystem has yet to follow. There, there is an ecosystem out there, but it is still very, very developmental. Yeah. Um, but conceptually, enterprises all over the place, from what we're seeing, are absolutely gravitating towards this idea of a private 5G network for you know, the promises that I just mentioned. You know, the, the biggest thing right now for an enterprise is the ability to connect all of their devices 
um, M2M type devices or even you know, handhelds and things like that to this very, very secure and reliable network. That's not something that you got with 4G. That's not something you get with Wi-Fi. Um, it's a much, much deeper type of a, of a network application. So one of the driving so one of the driving forces then for the demanding private enterprise networks in this instance is security. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, security is a very very big thing, and so people are looking to be able to enterprises are looking to be able to manage security on their own. You know, they they want to hold that, they want to understand that. They're they're reluctant to give that over to um, some other entity, whether it's an MSP or a carrier or something like that. And so with a private network. Not only do you get all the access and availability to the data that you collect and use on your network, but you also get the ability to overlay your own applications, and one of those applications becomes security. So now you can have your own security platform, um, whether it's device security or, or network security or you know, data security. You can have all that controlled in-house effectively mm-hmm. through a platform that you don't have to bring up. So it's the as-a-service model for security and applications in the network. No, it's really interesting, and, and you know, of course, security is important to the, to the enterprise. But I was always under the illusion that the private enterprise network was about just securing that bandwidth. Right, no one else is going to drain my bandwidth. This is ours, right? This isn't going to, and then we can do some interesting stuff with it. But you raise a really interesting point there, and we've talked about security several times today, and the multitude of new entry points for nefarious people or institutions. Um, that are trying to obviously find their way in as you know, we move more and more to this connected world. So I think that's really interesting. Now, what, given what you guys do and, and, and the, the customers you work with, what's one of the interesting use cases you've seen so far in a private enterprise network? We were just talking about Schneider Electric and their automation in, in their industrial plants. From your perspective, ben, what have you seen that's pretty interesting and out there and you've thought, wow, that's, it's cool to be a part of that? I think that, you know, a lot of what we're going after right now is, is kind of in that, that next generation of, you know, who are the people who are bringing these new use cases in um, from an enterprise perspective? I think that the one thing that always makes me kind of stop and think that, man, I'm, I'm glad to be working in this business is the idea of, of agriculture technology or connected ag in general. And this, this is a lot of what the 5G Open Innovation Lab has been doing um, up in the farms in Washington yep. and things like that is... You've, you've got incredibly innovative people building these tools where you can you know, measure soil quality, you can measure the, the amount of water in the soil, you can measure how the, the crops are doing, and you can very, very tactically treat the crops exactly the right way. Mm-hmm. You reduce the amount of people needed, and more importantly, you do reduce the amount of resources needed. So less water, less fertilizer, you know, less other things that are a drain on the rest of our environment. So with that technology, of course, they all need to be connected and they all need to be connected, you know, almost like an M2M type scenario. It's exactly that. And so by being able to put out a private 5G network and connect all these innovative technologies and really be able to do something with that data, again, doing it on premises, we have compute power local in this network. We're not shipping that out somewhere to process. We can process it all locally and it stays within that enterprise or that farm owner's um, data set. Yeah, yeah. And so now we can really turn around some, some, some pretty significant improvements in something that's, you know, obviously a, a global need and that's food production. Yeah. 
No, and I remember when when the, the press release went out on the food resiliency program up in Snowmish County, and we did a podcast with Jim that day. We put it out that day to support that initiative. And what I thought was really amazing about it was this is a real demonstrable use case that's that's out there now that we're, we're proving out we're showing the value we've talked about it for years right but there it is here's mm-hmm. an example boom and i think what's really interesting and you probably had this is the united states i think is ahead the rest of the world in, in 5g right now and, and looking at this which hasn't always been the case in the past but there was a, a, you know there was different areas of the world have, have gone first in, in in certain things but i think what we're seeing now people from the rest of the world, from our customers in Europe or Asia or South America, sitting up and going, whoa, whoa, what, what did you do? <laughs> That's right. And we're all at different paces and we're all at, at, at different levels. But the amount of interest that I know Jim is getting and, and, and the 5G Open Innovation Lab and us is from outside of the United States where other countries that are in different part, different place with their 5G journey saying, okay, that." Right. Okay. Now you're you're starting mm-hmm. to spark things up for us. So I think that's that that must have been a great thing to you know to see and 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 to even be a part of. And what do you see moving forward? What are the new things beyond? That? I think the food resiliency program is is a great one. But what other things do you think you can enable or or you've seen? I think one of the other really big things coming out of um, you know the pandemic taught us a lot of things. Um, those of us in the technological fields, you know, we recognize that. You know, very, very dramatically, people across the world have had to rely on communications in a very, very different way. Um, suddenly, you know, within a day, we all had to going back to, you know, going from a very, very secure and trusted enterprise network at our workplaces to now going into our home networks and still expected to perform the same functions mm-hmm. with a far, um, in some cases, far more degraded type networks. We've also seen, you know, a dramatic increase in the, uh, in the digital divide. Um, particularly as it goes to education. You know, we've seen a lot of students, you know, not be able to get connected in different areas. Or if you can get connected, you know, students learn in different ways. And and even if you do have that that digital connection, you know, that learning may not be targeted to a specific student. And so we've seen those things grow. Um, Those have been, there's been a lot of innovations around those industries. There's been huge innovations in in the way that people communicate remotely. Going into a restaurant, you, you, you scan a QR code and order off a menu now and pay from your phone and never have to interact <laughs> yeah. with the person again. And those things all happen very, very quickly. Yeah. Where I see this going from the enterprise um, perspective, though, is if you look at factories and productions and, and even agriculture, you know, people are one of the biggest resources. And so because, because it, there's such a shortage of people right now, there's, there's such a shortage of you know, ability to get people you know, to work in the factories, to work in the farms, um, automation is becoming something that's very, very rapidly um, increasing. Yeah. And so when you look to automation, you look at you know, machines that need to communicate very, very quickly and very reliably and very precisely. Yeah. And so that's what private 5G can do for yeah. you is, is now you can start taking some of those elements that we've been talking about for years with you know, network function virtualization and slicing and things like that. And you can make this really, really reliable network to improve automation across many, many manufacturing sectors, agriculture sectors, and a lot of other places to reduce the demand for, you know, people in factories. You've just sparked something that's made me think about this. If you remember pre-pandemic, when we talked about automation, 
Everyone started throwing up Terminator scenarios. We'll be replaced by robots. There'll be mass unemployment. If you remember this, it, yep. it, I remember uh, an article I read in The Economist, the rise of the robots. And, you know, we're all going to be taken over by uh, machines, etc. But when you look at it now, we need those machines and robots. Absolutely. Because the labor force is, has, has completely displaced, has changed beyond all recognition. There's 500 tankers off the coast of LA that can't get into the port because there's not the workers there to, to, to uh, take the goods off the ships. The, most of the hotels in LA you know, don't have the staff to clean your rooms and offer right. all these, these different things. So I don't think it's a case anymore. I don't think people should be fearful of automation in any enterprise now. I think it's a necessity. I think it has to happen in order for us to continue our lives, right? 100%. And, and that's one of the big things that that private 5G is teaching us is that, you know, because these things are a necessity and because it's no longer looked at as this kind of scary, you know, some other thing taking over for us, but now it is very much a necessity for robots to be able to perform the same functions in what could be considered an unsafe workspace for, for humans. Yeah. Um, we are seeing now that the existing infrastructure in these places like Wi-Fi and other networks just simply aren't suitable. This is why, you know, so many of those use cases in 5G were developed years ago. This is, what, this is why those, those were hashed out and talked about. Now we finally see the true application, not, not in a you know, scary robots are taking over way, but in a very exciting, innovative, this is kind of the future. And, and now the human capital can be focusing on other things, whereas now we can start offloading some of the, um, the manufacturing sector and some of those other things to, to more robotics and, and you know, yeah, yeah. devices. Excellent. Okay. Well, listen. Ben, it's been great to have you on The Great Indoors today. I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. So thank you very much. Thank you for having me. So I'd like to welcome my next guest on The Great Indoors this afternoon. His name is James Kimmery. He's the VP of Product Management at Spirant. James, welcome to The Great Indoors. Thanks, man. Good to meet you. And I think this is a significant milestone for us as an industry and, and, and as people in, in, in coming back to some level of normalcy going forward. I think right. that's what, what I love about it. And what have you seen or heard at the event? I know we're only halfway through day two right now, but what stood out from you from a keynote perspective or anybody you've spoken to? What, what, what's really stuck with you so far? You know, that's a really good question. Uh, there's so many things that uh, I was able to see since I've been here. Like I said, I've been, I've been involved in a few of the, of the sessions and, and some of the talks. Um, you know, I think in general, uh, I hate to say this, but I think people are still coming to grips on what 5G is, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I've, I've had some really good questions like, you know, when is, when is the promise of 5G going to actually be real? Um, you know, there was questions on this thing called Open RAN. You know, is that going to be the driver that makes the promise of 5G uh, come to life? But, uh, you know, and, you know, my opinion is, you know, uh, 5G is really hard. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, and that's not an excuse, but it's hard. And, you know, some of the things that the operators want to try to accomplish uh, with this new G in communications, it's, it's not just about, you know, mobile broadband data. It's not about good voice quality. It's about everything else. And uh, there's a lot of things that have to be put in place from a business perspective, a technical perspective, 
in order for, you know, 5G to, to realize that promise. Yeah. But, you know, I think that's the thing that's, that's you know, I step back and look, you know, what's happened in a couple of years. Well, two years ago, 5G was being rolled out. There was a lot of excitement. You know, the COVID uh, situation pandemic happened, you know, you know, people are still worried, are still wanting 5G, which is a good thing. And, mm-hmm. and they want all the benefits now. And, yeah. uh, you know, I'm, you know, I work at Spirant. Spirant is a, a company that's, that works with operators on the deployment of 5G. So I, I can promise you it's coming. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's no doubt about that. There's been this propulsion of, uh, of digitalization and yep. this desire for connectivity that we've never seen before. And I think it's, it's sharpened the appetite for 5G. And what I think is really interesting is that, you know, three or four years ago when you talked about 5G, and you said, well, what's going to be, everyone's speculating about the use case. Really, in reality, fixed wireless access is the, the, the priority right now for the service providers, or as I see it. But that, is, that no longer is, oh, really? Is that all we're going to do with it? Because connectivity uh, has become more important than ever before because of the pandemic. The digital divide has been, had a light shone on it like, uh, uh, like a spotlight like never before. So therefore, people are pre- it doesn't matter if it's just about connectivity right now right. because that is super important. Now, all the other good stuff, I think, will come uh, further down the line. But that's one of the things that I've picked up. Uh, uh, it's okay fix you know yeah. rural coverage fix wireless that's okay it doesn't have to all be about driverless cars and right. all of this stuff so tell me a little bit about um spirant james and what you do there what's happened there during the pandemic and, and what you see moving forward yeah, well that's a uh it's a good question so i'm a vice president of product management uh there are three business units at spirant um there's a uh, position navigation and timing there's cloud and IP, and then mine, which is uh, lifecycle service assurance or LSA. I'm just going to use yeah. LSA for short because um, more efficient. But uh, I'm part. Uh, I'm a VP in that business unit. I I'm responsible. There's there's two sections to the business. Um, there's the live part in the lab, and uh, I'm in charge of all all of our lab business in the LSA business mm-hmm. unit. And what that means, you know, if you think about, you know, 5G, a lot of these 5G technologies have to be proven in the lab first. Once they're proven in the lab, then they, then they go to live where mm-hmm. they're actually deployed. And we've built up a nice service assurance business. So whenever 5G gets rolled out, they deploy it. Uh, operator wants to measure the performance, uh, service level uh, performance they need a, a service assurance sort of solution for that. So that's that's the BU, our strategy. It's worth mentioning that our strategy, we have a lab-to-live strategy. So we use the same tools and technologies that we're developing in the lab to prove these uh, 5G uh, technologies in their nascent form. Uh, and you use the same tools and technologies as they're being rolled out mm-hmm. and being monitored. All right. And so what have you done? What What's changed during the pandemic in how you do your day-to-day? Have things like accelerated out of control or what, uh, what, what's the, the general trend in, in that environment? So how much time do we have? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we could do another episode later on, don't worry. Sorry, I had to ask. Well, you know, uh, you were mentioning uh, about the pandemic and, you know, use cases and things on the show. I'm going to start mm-hmm. there, then I'll transition yeah. to Spire it later. But... Um, this fellow from uh, uh, Schneider Electric, 
Mm-hmm. You know, he has technicians and factories, you know, they do factory automation and that type of thing. You know, one of the, this was a story he shared publicly, so hopefully he doesn't mind me resharing it. But, yeah, but uh, he said that AR and VR, you know, one of the promises of 5G has been all oh, this, this XR technology, either augmented reality or virtual reality. You know, he claims that they actually took advantage of 5G and, because they couldn't uh, effectively get a lot of people in, in these factories uh, where they were uh, where they were automating. And then you know, if they did, you know, because they didn't have as much uh, support, you know, this augmented reality uh, that tools that they were using actually were lifesavers because they could yeah. actually guide the technicians and uh, in, you know, building up the factory and the automation aspects um, you know, remotely. So I thought that was, that was quite interesting Yeah, where the pandemic actually accelerated a 5g, you know, KPI or use case. Yeah. And then in my personal, uh, just in terms of, uh, you know, personal, I actually moved to Spirant from a company called national instruments and I in, in uh, August of 2020. Right. So I actually made a transition during, you know, it wasn't lockdown, but effectively lockdown. And I and I made the made the decision that I was going to work remotely. I'd been working in an office for twenty plus years, and uh, that's been quite of an adjustment. And I think Spirant realized that you know, hey, we're in a pandemic. We're going to have to get used to working, you know, remotely and effectively remotely. I think that's mm-hmm. the key word, effectively mm-hmm. remotely. So you know, my day now is more or less uh, a lot of conference calls, uh, you know, one after the other. Mm-hmm. That's why it's so great to get out uh, and be here in LA. But a lot of conference calls, um, you know, in the way that we do business, a lot of times we we we, we sort of took it for granted that hey, I'm going to see this person yeah, yeah. at this trade show or at this conference, you know, oh, I'll set up a trip, mm-hmm. and um, you know, that face to face is where you know the gaps are sort of filled in on business opportunities, applications, technical knowledge. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really hard to write an email that has everything in it. And it's also really hard, even in a video call, to get uh, some of the contextual information. No, absolutely. Especially if, like, if you're visiting customers and you see their real-world real, real challenges where they're trying to do something, you know, you only see their face during yeah. the, the call. But when you actually go on-prem and you actually see what they're trying to do, you go, ah. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So trying to get that information via conference call into uh, Spirant and trying to act on it and, and servicing our customers has been a challenge. But, you know, uh, I hate to say it, but we're getting pretty good at it right now. Good, good. <laughs> and, it, you know, it throws in everybody's kind of adapted to different things, yeah. right? And um, like you said, the, the, adaption, uh, the adoption of working from home effectively or um, our, our, our previous uh, guest just a little while ago, Roy was talking about you know, the expectations on your consumer broadband now is very different in 18 months, mm-hmm. right? Now we, uh, if we're working at home, if we're reliant on that connectivity, our expectations have gone to enterprise level, right? right. right? We want resilience. We want assurance. We want security, mm-hmm. right? With our, our and, and he said something really interesting and that is when your employer provides that enterprise level connectivity at your home, that's like a benefit. Yes, it is. Right? Yes. A taxable benefit, yeah. for, for <laughs> if you want to look at it that way. Yeah. Um, but I thought that was really, really interesting. So 
what do you see happening next? What's the big, one of the questions I like to ask uh, uh, our guests is what do they think the next big or the most impactful 5G use cases? And nobody knows for sure, right? right. This is a crystal ball, but it's interesting to get people's perspectives. Because like I said at the beginning, when people have been talking about 5G for years, you couldn't hear one conversation that didn't drop in driverless cars with all right. the, the autonomous uh, vehicles. Um, but from your perspective, and you talked about uh, industrial automation there as well, what, what do you see as a big B2B or, or consumer 5G use case that you would like to see? Well, I think all of uh, the use cases that have been um, discussed or proposed for 5G, I think they're all important. The question is, is one going to drive more revenue or more, more economic expansion than uh, or growth than others? And, you know, I don't, I'm not sure. Uh, I'll be honest with you. One of the things that Spirant did during the pandemic, and as a result of the pandemic, we bought a Wi-Fi company. All right. And uh, one of the reasons we bought a Wi-Fi company was because everybody's relying on Wi-Fi now, not 5G. And then uh, we also uh, have a vision of Wi-Fi and 5G working together. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, you know, in the, these, you know, I, people talk about private networks and 5G. That's a lot of discussion at the show, and it's, and it's a great use case. Mm. You know, one of the challenges that I, that I wonder, personally wonder, about, you know, the, what about the smaller enterprises? What about the home office, you know? How is their Wi-Fi connectivity? Most of you know, hundred dollar access point or whatever they they purchase the access point for. How has that been tested? What level of service is that going to be for for uh, consumers in in that type of environment? And then finally, you know, why can't five G be the the broadband delivery mechanism? for those small enterprises, like your fixed wireless yeah, yeah. Uh, example, but taking it to a step further and, and, and providing a scenario where Wi-Fi and 5G work together mm -hmm. to, to actually give you better coverage in a small office or, or home mm -hmm. office sort of environment. Yeah. I wonder if that's, that's one of the areas. And I know for us, we, we invested in Wi-Fi. We're hugely invested in 5G, don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, but one of the things that we saw is if you look at, you know, how the industry evolved with cellular, the testing and the investments in cellular are, are really pretty big compared to Wi-Fi. Yeah. Uh, I'll just say it that way. And then if you look at, you know, uh, giving a certain level of service, you know, with, with cellular, your cellular devices and, and, you know, base stations and all that, they've been tested uh, to, to a number of different standards. Uh, before it even hits the commercial shelves. Mm -hmm. Wi-Fi, it's not the case. Yeah. And uh, you can see that there'll be a, le uh, a leveling. And then for areas, you can, you can just tell that 5G will be a great delivery mechanism mm -hmm. uh, for, uh, for Wi-Fi or even 5G, yeah. Yeah. private networks, small enterprises, as well as big yeah. enterprises. Now, and one thing is that I know that Spirant, like us, Amdocs, we're both part of the 5G Open Innovation Lab out of Seattle. Right. Uh, we had Jim Bramitsis on yesterday, the, the founder and CEO oh. of, of the 5G Open Innovation Lab. He's awesome. a great guy. It's the second time we've had him on the podcast. And, and I'm just starting to think of something. Is We had um, uh, Don, the CMO of Qualcomm, on earlier, mm -hmm. and he talked about you know, off the coast of LA, there's all these tankers out in the mm -hmm. ocean. Right? There's big supply chain issues across the world right now yes. because of um, employees, the great resignation that have moved into different areas because of the pandemic. Uh, 
And he said that and it, it was a great point, and you, you've just made me think of it again, is if, if there was a use, a 5G, if that existed already, the ability to automate those ports. Right. Which I know we're, we're looking at with the 5G Open Innovation Lab. Right. We wouldn't have that problem right, right now. So it's almost like there's problems that have been thrown up during the pandemic, and that's a great example, which need a use case. That's right. right? That's right. That, could, that are in process, that are being delivered. And I think that's what we're going to see as well. Some of these, you know, when I look at um, fixed wireless access and, and rural coverage, it's, it's become, as I said at the beginning, more important than ever because of the digital divide. Oh, yeah. The pandemic shone oh, yeah. a light on. So I think all these things are almost symbiotic and they're all sort of fitting into place as we Oh, I think so too. Forward. That was actually, uh, you said it better than I did, but I do. I think these, uh, you know, these technologies are, are sort of finding their way and uh, what is it, the, the term uh, necessity is the mother of invention? Yeah. Uh, the pandemic has sort of put a light on uh, some of the gaps that we have in our infrastructure and our systems. And, you know, 5G is here. You know, it really is. Yeah. It's here. Yeah. Uh, Wi-Fi is here. You know, I'm, we're, I'm part of a testing company. Mm-hmm. And I can say, you know, if you have the right testing partner, you know, those dreams can become realities. Well, and, and the other thing is, Right now, we're in the in, in the United States anyway. There is this race to five G. The race is on, and 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 one of our previous guests said it's very much a a marketing race, right? And you know, <laughs> you know who I'm talking about. They're throwing yeah. around their coverage figures. There was the C band auction that brought Verizon back in, T Mobile, like Gung Ho, and going for right. it. So there's this race going on right now. I imagine, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but Spirant is a, a, a key part of that race if you're testing these things before they go to deployment, right? Uh, absolutely. I, I can't get into our customers, but, I, but uh, we've said this publicly. We're, we, uh, we, some of our largest customers are some of the largest operators. Mm-hmm. So we, we're on the front lines of these 5G deployments. And, you know, I, th- I think that um, it's coming. You know, I think the C-band auction was a big driver for the United States. Uh, you know, I think people step back and, and, you know, it's a very simple equation. It's bandwidth and data rates or spectrum and is spectrum equals bandwidth, which equals data rates. Mm-hmm. More spectrum, more bandwidth, more higher data rates. I mean, it's, it's, it's really that simple. Yeah. And there really wasn't, uh, two years ago, there really wasn't a lot of spectrum. I mean, there was... A lot in the millimeter wave um, bands. Uh, millimeter wave is, is sort of a different animal, and I think it'll come. I just don't think the technology is, is quite there yet. Mm-hmm. But really for the, the FR1 or sub-6 gigahertz use cases, uh, there just wasn't a lot of spectrum. Yeah. Now there is, and I think operators are going full bore to try to deliver the promise of 5G to their uh, to their to their customers, yeah. and then you even have uh, companies like Dish, which are greenfield operators, yeah. and they are taking advantage of the cloudification. Uh, well, one of the things that 5G did um, is they made these open interfaces in the core, and and so the core could actually be core network could actually be virtualized. And then that, that means that these core elements could be hosted on different cloud servers, private, public, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And instead of having, you know, proprietary systems that were in an operator's data center, that's, uh, that's, a, that's a really radical yeah, yeah. Uh, paradigm shift. 
and it's really it's really radical in terms of how you test. Yeah, yeah. And so that's where Aspirant's been. You know, yeah, we're, yeah. we've been involved with the front lines of the cloudification of the 5G core. Yeah. We're really excited about that because that the operating cost to the operators goes down dramatically if they can take advantage of the cloud. They get a much richer offering in terms of features that they can offer their customers, you know, um, and then they can stretch in terms of capacity, location, geography, uh, taking advantage of the cloud's disparate, uh, you know, deployment. So it's pretty exciting. Mm -hmm. Uh, I won't say, uh, you know, we, we, we talk about the use cases and now I'm talking about the implementation and how the sausage is made, so to speak. Uh, but those things are really necessary to get to that yeah, end point. Yeah. Well, listen, James, it's been a pleasure having you on. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Uh, so thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Wow, that was a lot of great conversation. Uh, in fact, we've never had so many great guests crammed into one episode. Whew. But these innovators are inventing defining and delivering solutions that will clearly help mankind overcome the biggest challenges we've ever faced. This is special, special stuff and something we should be proud of, proud to just be a part of it. So please subscribe to our podcast and all the usual podcast channels, leave a review or rating if you feel so inclined, it certainly helps us. Check out two other Amdocs podcasts that are brilliant and available now, The Future of Tech with Abishai Sharlin and Points of View with our CMO, Gil Rosen. Also visit our website, amdocs.com forward slash The Great Indoors, where we have a, a treasure trove of assets related to the series. Now we'll be back next week for another Los Angeles special edition of The Great Indoors. I'm Matt Roberts for Amdocs in LA and have a great day wherever you are.